0: to episode 60 as always you can find the podcast on the web at enterprisehardcore.com on there you'll find all the streaming and social media information make sure you give us a follow on facebook twitter and instagram on instagram you'll always see cool like upcoming flyers and nostalgic hardcore stuff uh there's a patreon going around right now too try to get some new gear for some episodes some live stuff and some video stuff so if you're able to drop a couple bucks in there or just spread the word i appreciate all the support so far uh, there's a couple cool upcoming shows in Rochester and Buffalo. Just make sure you check my Instagram or like Sawyer Collective or Rochester Buffalo Hardcore. So yeah, for episode 60, this has kind of been a little a little uh, time in the making. Um, my, my, my guest tonight and I have been talking about doing this for uh, probably about two years now, honestly. So I'm excited to do this. But honestly, before I started doing it, I didn't realize how many bands he had been in. I knew there was a few, but uh, even tonight when I was counting up, I was like, damn, that's like a dozen bands. So we're going to be talking about some really cool bands uh, from this area from like the last 20 years. And then honestly, uh, Tom's got a lot of cool stuff going on now with tattoos, shoes, and you name it pretty much. So we'll get into all that, I'm sure. So with all that being said, how are you doing tonight, Tom? Hey, man. Thanks for having
1: me. It's been, yeah, like you said, has it been two years in the making?
0: I know you and I started talking about this like that summer, I feel like pretty much. I mean, you know, and yeah, like sometimes life gets in the way. I had a new kid. And um there's a lot of stuff going oh, on here. I'm sure you had stuff going on too, you know. So well yeah, like I said, I'm glad we're able to do this now, man. You know? So um, uh, but yeah, how's everything been going for you, man?
1: Oh, it's been going great, man. Um, like I said, like you, like you've you've noticed, you know, I've kind of pivoted from doing full-time tattooing into this new career of making custom shoes for people and stuff like that. So that's been freaking crazy. Like I just I just said fuck it, let's do it. You know, when I do something, I'm kind of like my my wife will tell you to uh, will attest to it that I'm just like very driven and very obsessed with something. So when I, uh, you know, there was a lot of shutdowns and stuff happening with the tattoo community. And I'm kind of high, high risk, high you know, for health reasons, because of my asthma and some other stuff that I really just don't want to get COVID. I haven't gotten COVID yet. I kind of would. Okay. there's there's water runner somewhere but uh <laughs> but uh knock on wood i haven't gotten it yet but i don't want to get it especially with how severe my asthma is um i kind of ha- had to make some choices and um the next choice i i wanted to do was making shoes i i've made shoes periodically throughout the years but i said fuck it now's the time right so i just did it <laughs>
0: Yeah, like, I, like I've like i told you a few times, I'm always impressed to see all the work you've been doing on there. It's crazy every time you post it on Instagram to see all the crazy shoes you're doing and stuff. So Yeah, thank you. What's that? Thank you. Yeah, no, obviously. So, I mean, we'll get to that stuff in a little bit, but um, I'm sure you've listened to a couple episodes. I like to kind of do things in a timeline and you had quite the, the, the dent you made in our local music scene. So I'm definitely curious to talk about that, but I guess before we get there, let's kind of talk about your upbringing and kind of what brought you into like the local music scene.
1: Yeah, so I come from, do you know where Williamson, New York is? Yeah. That's, you know, uh, home of the Apple Blossom Festival. It's home of Mott's Applesauce. So, like, the whole town just centers around apples. And uh, if that tells you anything about um, the country, you know, 315, as we like to, they used to call us, all all you city boys used to call us rednecks because we're 315ers. But I grew up out there, you know, small town, literally, Oh, how many kids were in my graduating class? I had 45 kids in my graduating class. I was the only kid that listened to punk rock. Like, green hair, at one point I had a mohawk. Um, My upbringing was, my mom's a Sunday school teacher and um in the 90s like she really didn't want me listening to quote unquote secular music so i grew up with um mxpx and like the old tooth and nail bands is kind of like what i first was kind of introduced to as far as like punk and hardcore there was a really good like straight up like punk hardcore band that was from um that time period there was a christian band called 121. i don't know if you're familiar with that band but they were like straight up like gbh you know like fucking just fast punk shit you know so yeah that's kind of where i came from there and then slowly i'd meet kids in church that were kind of in youth groups that were in the same stuff that i was and then we ended up forming um as like the list i sent you it was called the geek bombs and that pretty much was like a old blink-182 cheshire cat meets mxpx like ripoff band and that that's kind of you know where it all started and i played at first i played guitar horribly i might add um and yeah and then years later i'm jumping ahead but years later i i, I jumped to bass because i like bass a lot um but yeah i uh, started with guitar and i actually sang in that band and then um kind of just progressed and progressed and progressed um but geek Bob said that, that was the first one that started it all
0: <laughs> it's interesting too because as we'll get to with some of your later bands uh travis Rankin had a similar upbringing too and i don't do you guys yes. ever, do you guys ever talk about uh, that at all and like yes yeah, so.
1: too yeah uh he his his um oh, what was the name of his first band well there was discern but there was yeah. another band before that was it smacking azaya or something like that it was something
0: i discern was the first one i was familiar with so i'm not yeah sure. there was
1: another one before that and so we were in the same circle um also like i used to go out to lions and and we would play christian coffee shops and coffee shops and lions and that's kind of how i got introduced with uh um, antonucci and all the lions crew and stuff like that. So um that's kind of like where uh we kind of started our paths started like you know crossing and stuff like that. Um but for the most part, like I was a Webster kid, you know. Um that was like the the, the the all the kids that were we were going to the park lodge shows. uh remember the White House? Do you remember the White House? I think yeah, I know I know what I'm talking yeah. about. Yeah, you were on Main Street, there was a burger king across the street. Yes, yeah, so we used to play the White House, we used to play um, all those park lodge shows, there was another like big white lodge show that they used to have there. And those were always, ref- back then it was, um, my, my best friends in the world. And I wanted to be in this band so bad it was Murdoch. Do you remember Murdoch? Yeah. Uh, Murdoch, Marius. um, oh, there's muffin, muffin kitty. I, I know that was mentioned in a past show. Yep. Um, man, there was just, there was so many good, Oh, uh, the Goonies there was, there was just so many good bands that were coming out from that whole area that I was a pop, I was really a pop punk kid. So, and don't get me wrong, I, because I remember going to your shows too, that were over at like what, Powder Mill Park lot. uh uh Yeah. Party Park like, I can't pronounce words, but you know what I'm saying? <laughs> but yeah, I used to go over there and watch um, all j two fives, you know, bands that were playing. And, you know, I remember going to fest shows and Oh uh, yeah, like so. I was always a little intimidated too by the hardcore scene because I was like the the Christian pop punk kid, and I was like, "Oh, I'm going to the big bad hardcore show. I hope I don't get my ass beat." You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I've talked to people
0: about that before too, about kind of the intimidation factor. And, I, and looking back on it now, I can definitely see it too. Especially now, like I I don't go to shows all that often. So, like, well, I, I go more often when I can, but you know what I mean. Like, I don't go as often as yeah. back then. And, and when I go, I'm, I am even I'm like, damn, some of these kids are crazy. And I, I imagine like back then, probably like a, a first time I would have said the same thing. But so did you kind of make a little a little like, I guess, a little dent, and kind of get a little experience with the Geek Bombs? Then, or like how long was that project?
1: That was um, like a senior year, freshman year of college, you know, band. And we just played literally church groups like out in Wayne County. Um, and then from there i'm trying to think the next band i joined where i was still playing guitar was a band called one year nothing which later turned into the Sunstreak. um so i was with those guys for a little bit and then from there i ended up meeting up with um guys in thatcher do you remember the band thatcher the pop yeah. punk band yeah uh, J- jmr freaking amazing guitar player singer and then we had mike wilkinson who's also in he's not he's in uh outlier with joey arena right now and he also plays in a hardcore band i want to say their name is like it starts with the the rivalry or i can't remember it's a it's a it's a hardcore band and the one, they have a girl that plays and she's from um new york city and stuff like that but he's an amazing drummer fucking got the chops just you know everything um, and then another guy, his name was Eric was in that band too. And he, since then he's actually been the uh, living out in California. He's been the guitar tech for, Oh, all these like crazy indie bands. Um, what was that band? Um, that had that song pumped up kicks. You remember that? Remember that like super trendy, Oh, what the hell were they called foster the people? Oh yeah I, know, yeah. I like I know. The band, super, I super like that indie yeah. major labels. So he got, caught up with all that indie label stuff and he just ended up becoming guitar techs for all these touring bands and stuff like that so good good on him though but his name was eric he was awesome um so i played bass in that band for a while I'm trying to think why we broke up i honestly can't i can't think maybe maybe eric wasn't into it that much but but during that time too that's also where i was introduced so we we played they were all from bath new york i don't know if you've ever been to any of the bath new york shows but you know, we played with shit. These these are the most eclectic shows that I I remember playing. It was like the Red Death, Highland Drive, Marathon, Minor Times. Um, you know, fucking like it was just like crazy awesome. Like you know, Circle takes a square. Like all these like hardcore bands, and then like our we we were straight up like slick shoes, like straight up fast pop punk. You know what I mean? <laughs> fucking melodies and shit. But it was such a fun time, and, and everybody stayed around. Everybody. Like everybody wanted to watch each other. Everybody was embracing each other. And it was like the coolest like community that I, I just miss these days. I, I don't, maybe cause I'm out of it. I don't see it, but um, it was just so communal and so nice to be part of that whole scene. So we, we played a lot of shows in Bath, New York with like all those revolving bands over and over. And we played Rochester too. Um, I think the furthest we ever got with that band was like, we ended up going to Pennsylvania and playing a few shows here and there um and then like i said i don't i don't remember why we broke up i feel like eric was moving to california we just kind of said maybe it's time and then from there i want to say the next band was verona and i remember i was listening to chris's interview that he did with you chris is awesome um and i'm almost like him it's like been 20 years so i'm trying to remember all this shit (laughs) so uh but i can't remember if Tom Zens hit me up cuz I remember playing shows with Trin City Sunrise and you know against the odds back in the day and all those you know stuff like nobody cares um but I I, I think I remember it was Tom Zens that hit me up and said hey I got this band it's going to be like the early November meets the get up kids and um unlike Chris who does not like any of those bands I absolutely love like you know drive through records and all that second generation emo um, so I was totally in. So we, we got together and then they brought in Travis. And Travis is fucking amazing. Like that dude is the most talented, talented singer artist I've ever met in my life. And I will say, uh, also just a great human being. I mean, I, I, I still, he was the best man of my wedding. I still consider him one of the, my best friends. And I'm so busy. I'm a horrible friend. I don't get to talk to him as much as I, I want to. But if I thought, I haven't talked to him in about a year now. But if I literally called him up right now, he wouldn't even say, hey, where you been? He'd just be like, we would just start the conversation where we left off. And he doesn't even acknowledge that we hadn't talked in a year. And that's a, that's a good sign of a good best friend because he just doesn't care and he's cool, you know? So, uh, but yeah, like, uh, like Chris was saying in that one interview, it was Craig Waters, who pretty much was an old, we all, we all called him the old man because he had the house and the, the job and he always complained because we wanted we wanted to tour and kind of make our way out of you know rochester new york and he just kind of wanted to just do a few park shows here and there um but we were trying to you know we were trying to be the next get-up kids <laughs> so that that was fun for sure um i think with with verona i think at a certain point chris chris's uh chris's description of how, what happened to the changing the guards is pretty funny though because uh, maybe, maybe he doesn't remember, but there was a point where we did a tour and our van broke down and we had to, we literally had to leave the van in the middle of the Adirondacks. Like we just had somebody come pick us up. The van's, the van's still out there for all we know. Um, it's, it's some junkyard, but, uh, we just had a horrible tour. Um, and we got picked up and we came back and then we were like, we're done. Let's That's, That's it. So we all kind of just broke up. And then unbeknownst to me and Travis, and I want to say it was Craig too, we just heard like a week or so later, they go, oh, Verona's back, but it's iDreamer. And this time it was Kevin Mahody singing and then Tom Zan's Andy Champion on bass. I love Andy. He's one of my best friends too. Andy Champion on bass and uh, Chris on guitar. And then I forget who did drums at the time. So that was a little hard to swallow because I was like, wait a minute. And, and they were still playing Verona's songs. So we're just like, You're clearly a new band, but you know, obviously there was. uh, It seemed a little premeditated, but that's just how that shit went back in the day, man. Like there was just so much drama, and like like Chris was saying, like you know, you say the wrong thing to somebody, and next thing you know, they're butthurt and they want to get you kicked out of the band. And I mean, I've been in a ton of bands with Chris too, and like it's a revolving door for sure. You know what I mean?
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's obviously a slightly different version. Um, There's a few things there though. Before that. Uh, well, first of all, the bath thing—I uh, have a lot of good friends there, and I, I interviewed my old friend Mike Benlin from there uh, several episodes back. And uh, like just a few episodes from now, I'm going to have Paul and a few other guys from the Red Death on here, and we're going to be talking. Oh,
1: Paul's awesome, man! Yeah,
0: yeah, he's a real good they're, they're dude. They're such so. good dudes. Yeah, yeah, I'm really stoked for that one. That—that's another one that's been in the works for a while. It's just with doing this podcast, like I have a list of like tons of people, and you know, like oh, man. there's just so many characters,
1: man. Yeah, it's, and then some people.
0: Yeah. And then some people hit me up when stuff comes up then they want to jump on to promote this or that. So like, you know, but you, you and Paul were definitely people that I've been like, I uh, gotta nice. get you guys on, you know, I'm glad it's kind of happening. It's a weird coincidence that it they would, they would happen so close together like that, you know, that's fine. Um, but a couple of things we brushed over that we, we, uh, should talk about, uh, one of the more, uh, funny, uh, accidental names you gave, uh, Rochester, uh, the Rochester Senser. Uh, yeah. Here. So
1: I'm, I'm horrible at English. You would think it's my <laughs> since it's my first language. It was supposed to be "seen sir," yeah, but I totally spelled it wrong. Cause I was like, again, it goes back to like the Rochester Hardcore uh, Message Board page, and I was so intimidated because a lot of times, and mainly it was John Twenty Five, you would say the wrong thing, and that motherfucker would come at you hot. So, and I love John. John's John's an awesome dude. Um, But he would come at you hot. So it was super intimidating. You, half the time, you didn't even want to say, oh, my pop punk band is playing here because this is the Rochester Hardcore page. So I was like, fuck it. I'm going to make my own page. Um, So that's why I created the Rochester Senster page, which is supposed to be pronounced Senster. Uh, but we just, we fucking made it work. And I, I guess because it was an ugly yellow color, everybody just called it the yellow board. Yeah. So, and that was actually very popular. I really yeah. uh, had a lot of fun with that. And towards towards the end, I started curating all of the bands that like the pop punk bands and all all the bands, hardcore bands, everything. I kind of had like a list of everything that had come out since, you know, early 90s to that point. So it was pretty cool. And it just like gets in the way. And I kind of forgot about it.
0: (laughs) That sounds a lot like with the Rochester Hardcore History, what Greg Benoit has been doing, which is, you know, that's I mean, that's that stuff that needs to be documented. You know, that's why I'm glad you and I are talking, because like I said, I knew you had been in a few bands and up until you and I started talking about doing this. And honestly, when I interviewed Chris too, I was like, holy shit, that's a, like you were in a lot of bands in Rochester and part of a, you know, a pretty uh, pivotal area or era uh, rather for our, our scene. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, it was great. So,
0: and then uh, one other thing that we didn't brush on that you you told me about that I didn't know about before. And I, and I haven't really mentioned this to Rob yet. It was uh, you jammed
1: with them on some like pre Achilles shit at some point. Yeah, so it wasn't, I never got to jam. And I remember in Chris's interview too, he he had mentioned that they were, kind of forming a pre Achilles thing. And I guess theirs was called doctors, which makes makes sense because I had had a number of phone calls with Rob and he had called me and I forget if it was right after Verona or whatever it was, but I was in between some bands. And he had said that they're him and Rory and Josh. I mean, basically Achilles were forming this band and they, um, well, maybe not Josh because, uh, he would have been playing bass, but, uh, um, but uh, they were forming this band and it was at the time it was called Medic or Medics something like that um, and they just kind of explained it all to me and I was like fuck that sounds amazing uh, and just like Chris said I, those dudes are on a whole different level especially Rob, Like his guitar playing is phenomenal and I'm like I don't know if I can keep up with this man like you're you're really fucking good so um, I don't really remember I think we were supposed to meet up at some point at uh, the rehearsal space up in Penn henrietta near the airport there but uh it just never happened um and then you know then like a less than a year later you hear, you see a, you know achilles debuts and you're like holy shit i mean achilles is hands down my favorite you know hardcore metal whatever you want to call it band from rochester i got the i got their winged logo tattooed on me and everything i fucking they're so good man like just the, the live show they put on uh rory's vocals just everybody they crush it hands down
0: yeah i guess we kind of brushed over the tattoos in the beginning so we'll just try to talk about all that oh, all in <laughs> one uh batch into the end because like i said to you when, when, when we were talking in the beginning there was shit that i i learned about you with the tattoos that i was uh pleasantly surprised about that i, I definitely want to talk more about so um, yeah, yeah. but i think the next band you uh could you give me the list or whatever be uh they sleep they dream
1: yeah they sleep they dream that was like a Uh, post-pop punk like a little bit screamo type thing we were definitely listening to a lot of equal vision type bands at the time and uh when that there's there was two iterations of that band and uh, the first one was a guy named dave ceiling um he was the singer of that band who later he, he became the singer of remembering tomorrow do you remember that band who later turned into ice nine kills yeah um I remember that band, uh, obviously. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, basically, Ice and Kills took everybody from Remembering Tomorrow, and they, they they switched over and had the same singer, basically. Um, but yeah, Dave was the singer of that band for a little bit, and then for some reason, he wasn't working. I think we were just trying to get a specific sound, and I was like, shit, let's get Travis Rankin. So, And Travis was notorious for, not notorious, but Travis was the unlucky person that, when we got him for Verona. Okay, oh that's okay, now I'm remembering. So Verona, our original singer wasn't Travis. It was a guy named Mark Nacy, who was out of uh Henrietta too. And I forget how we knew him, but uh I and it was funny, he was just one of those guys that he looked like the singer of Thursday, Jeff Rickley. And we're like and we saw him at shows, we're like, we need to get that guy in the band. And like me and Tom Zen approached him, he's like, I think I can sing. And uh, he tried so hard. God bless his heart. Like he was such a, like a a good sport. but he just, you know, he didn't, he didn't provide what we were really looking for. And at that point, that's when we were doing the round two records. Uh, We were going to do like a a record and we, I think we were going to go into the studio in like two weeks. And we said, well, shit, who can we get to sing in this band? Because obviously Mark's not, you know, it's not going to work with Mark. And I think it might have been Tom or me that mentioned um, that mentioned Travis. And I'm a huge Arm's Length fan I and Discern, but Arm's Length is like another one of my favorite Rochester bands or just band in general. Uh, that Transmissions from the October Sky CD is so fucking good. Uh, I can't remember if I reached out or if Tom reached out, but one of us reached out and Travis is like, yeah, I'm totally down, man. And he came in and he wrote, all of the lyrics melodies in like a couple days. And then he went to the studio, Watchman studio and just nailed them. And then, you know, all this stuff happened. And then later on we formed Dave, they sleep, they dream. And then the same thing happened again. We were going to Watchmen studios. Dave wasn't working out. And then it was, I think this time it was even less. It was like a week and he had to write a full record. I think it was 12 songs. And Travis is like, all right, I'll make it a concept album. And he literally wrote 12. He was writing in the studio and, he, you know, Travis is amazing. He crushed it. So uh, props to him, because he's been put in a shitty situation two times in a row, and he fucking came on top.
0: <laughs> yeah, he's always a good vocalist. I mean, he was in a lot of a lot of bands in Rochester, as you referenced, too. I mean, Arm's Length, obviously. And I forget what the... I feel like there was a metalcore band, maybe Tears of Isaiah. I want to say he might have been in them at one point, too.
1: That's... Okay, that's the band I was thinking. That's the band before um, Discern, I believe. I or maybe between, it was just in between okay, yeah yeah yeah. and then he was doing um people can be more awesome do you remember remember that the name i remember yeah It's just super indie super like uh um, block party type stuff the stuff that he's really it's funny because like he played in like these hardcore bands and his emo bands and like the dude is just into like brit pop you know like you know indie in snow patrol and i love all that stuff too but it's so funny i i love that so many like Chris Van Deviver was very much into um you know like uh Gainesville hardcore and pop you know punk and then there was Travis who was into these indie and um uh, Brit pop and then I was just straight up like you know drive through records and like everybody came from a different place and created the sound that came together and it's so cool to be so a collective you know with everything oh i was thinking too with
0: with you coming up with the, all the christian stuff did you ever fuck with any like the solid state bands like figure 4 comeback kid even evergreen, evergreen terrace or any of that or
1: uh, I went to a I went to a number of Evergreen Terrace shows. I feel yeah. like they played the the Penny Arcade a few times.
0: Yeah, I did one of the and shows went- there for them. Yeah, it was. I, I don't know if that was with them and Comeback. I, I did a, I did something with them with them at some point though. But they, I, I and- feel
1: like if if you did and it was at the Penny Arcade, I was definitely there. Yeah. Cuz I liked Evergreen Terrace a lot just because I think I think what originally drew me to them was just the name of the band it was a Simpsons reference and I really liked yeah. it. <laughs> but they're really good. Gang Combat Kid too, man. Yeah. You know, a lot of people I, they like that first record but I actually like Wake the Dead the best. I, I just it's such a clean sounding record, you know.
0: Yeah, I like both of wow. those those first two records and that that's definitely a good melodic record and I think that was I haven't seen them in a long time but that was like one of the last tours I saw them on was for Wake the Dead and just, still it was like that was when Andrew first started singing after uh Scott the original singer uh stopped singing or whatever but like were you doing more touring with a sleep they dream too or was it mostly just like local and like regional stuff or
1: yeah so like pretty much like from Verona on we were all trying to quote unquote make it so we were all trying to tour as much as possible I mean if you if if it was my choice you know I, you know, I just throw everything to the wayside and let, let's get in the van and let's tour the entire United States. Um, but some of us had, um, you know, real jobs, so they couldn't go away for too long, but with basically the dream we were doing, you know, weekend warriors stuff going down the East coast. We did a tour in Canada, which was pretty fucking crazy. Cause we went up to like French Canada, like Montreal and stuff like that. And, uh, I can tell you some stories about that place. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I think for the most part, with Verona and they say they dream, and even museums, uh, which is later on, we all kind of stayed from like a full East Coast, you know, Florida all the way up to, you know, uh, Maine, um, and then all all the way over to, I think the furthest we got was like, what's the next? Oh, Detroit. So all we were to Detroit. So kind of that whole East Coast is like where we were kind of focusing on with uh, with those bands. And kind of slowly making our way. But I always said I, there was like this curse. It was It seemed like my bands that I was in, you know, when it hit the two year mark, something would happen and they would break up or somebody would be kicked out, you know, me mainly. But, you know, and then, and then it just kind of starts a whole new cycle. So,
0: yeah, I was going to say it sounds like a Rochester band thing, but I mean, it's it's about like the same 10 or 15 people. So it's, it sounds about right, I guess, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. Uh, how'd you get linked up when you when you told, when you kind of threw me for a curveball? How'd you get linked up with a hardcore band? I never knew you were in a, a hardcore band at one point.
1: of uh, 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 the rivalry! Yeah. So uh, I'm trying. To, I was trying to remember. So I can't remember. I knew a bunch of kids. So I used to hang out with. Um, there was a band. They were called Wide of the Mark. I don't know if you remember yeah, that okay. band. Yeah. And they became they became Speaker Fire later on. And they're like my best friends. So when Chris mentioned that we went to Watchmen and we recorded, and we stayed at our friends in Buffalo. We actually stayed at their house in Tonawanda um, and we hung out with them the whole time. Um, But I can't remember all the details, but I remember maybe telling somebody in that band that I kind of was just maybe that the Rochester scene was kind of kind of tapped for who I wanted to work with at the time. And they were just like, well, why don't you just hop on the and come up to Buffalo and, you know, and then let's play some stuff. And I I remember I really was into Another Breath and stuff like that. And uh, I really wanted to play just like fast, hard, you know, fast, hardcore. And do you know a guy named Dave Stardal? He was real, real big into the hardcore scene out there. But yeah, uh, Dave played in a few bands. Dave was the original singer of the rivalry. I don't know. I really don't know too much about after I left because I, I would go up there and play with them. We we never played a show at the time. We never played a show. We just we practiced like three times a week. I was always driving up there, always having fun. Um And then eventually it just kind of it just got to be too much to drive up there so much. And then they really they actually did want to, you know, tour and stuff like that. And at that time, I had gotten a job at Mott's Applesauce uh, working full time security. Um So I ended up Leaving the band and kind of going back to Rochester and trying to go from that well again,
0: and that's about the time Sayka Live started, or
1: yeah, I think um, I went to that that first show that they had in the basement there that Chris was talking about, and because um, I've I've known Kevin and Chris forever, um, and I went to it, and I think Chris had shown me because I would go up to Chris's and Kevin's apartment all the time in Henrietta and hang out and stuff like that. And he had shown me the demo. And I was like, this is really fucking good. Like, I love, like, it was really good. Um, and I was like, well, what's what's your deal with this? He's like, well, you know, we're going to play a show. But these, like, it was Kevin. And I forget who played drums at the time, too. But um, he said that they were only going to play the show. And he was going to try to find a touring band. I was like, shit, man, I'd love to put my hand in this. Because I just, I was kind of burnt out with the, the whole pop punk thing. And I wanted to, like, kind of throw my hat throw my hat into the, uh, the hardcore, you know, punk, hardcore field. And, uh, yeah, he, luckily he, 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 I didn't have to try out or anything like that. He's like, yeah, if you want it, you're in man. So learn the songs. And we used to go over to Tim Williams house. I'm trying to think where he, he used to live near Panorama trail is where, um, Tim used to live. So we used to go over there and practice in in his garage. And that was a fun time, man. We had a lot of fun. And then we. We played a lot of college shows. I remember playing Syracuse basement shows. Do you remember? Was there a band called Mayflower? Do you remember Mayflower? I'm they were sure. they. Used, um and then um uh, Ryan Hex, Ryan yeah. Hex would put on a bunch of shows in Syracuse, so we played a bunch of shows um, that he was putting on. So that was really fun. Yeah, I had, I had a lot of fun uh, with them, um, but like Chris said too, Chris is very uh, hard to work with sometimes. And he, because he's so driven and I love Chris, don't get me wrong. Um, uh, he's very focused and like his own words, like it's his band, you know what I mean? So it gets a little hard when, you know, you have ideas that you, you know, you think, you know, could, you could contribute. And he's like, no, this is, this is, it's my band and that's it. And it's, I think that's probably why I parted was I wanted to do something where I had a little bit more input on in what I, what I was producing and stuff too. Um, but we we all left on good terms you know I, I like to leave even if i get kicked out i like to leave i'm like non-confrontational so like oh yeah you're kicking me out i'm pissed at first and then like a day later i'm like so so what's going on man how's it going you know what i mean
0: <laughs> well i feel like if, if it's after you play in a few bands you kind of you know the whole process gets kind of familiar or whatever you know exactly it's just
1: the nature of the game you know what i mean Yeah.
0: did any of these bands like overlap with each other or were you always like playing in one band at a time
1: I'm trying to remember, to be honest. It's
0: kind of no, I don't as, th- you know what I mean? Like one goes to the other I, pretty much, usually.
1: Yeah, I don't think it was ever, and nothing was ever overlapping. It was because then it was Sakes Alive, and then it went into museums, and then museums went into blah, blah, blah. So yeah. it was always like the second one, you know, dissolved, or I left it or got kicked out. I was trying to find the next band and kind yeah. of moving forward, you know. Yeah. And
0: obviously, we're going to get into like tattooing and stuff like we were, yeah, you already, yeah. were you already like kind of starting to get into that kind of shit by now, like when you when you're playing the bands that we're talking about right now or was it a little bit later even?
1: Yeah, so I was I started tattooing in 2008. OK, So That's... I want to stay trying to think what bands I was playing. I At a certain point, I was playing in bands and tattooing at the same yeah. time, which was great because you know i would put my business cards on the merch table or i would like you know when we we're on the stage of like hey I, you know if anybody wants to get a tattoo hit me up you know and everybody wanted to get a tattoo you know especially when they're, you know apprentice tattoos and they're cheap or free not good uh but they want a free tattoo so i i definitely uh took advantage of that uh that, that uh platform to get uh, more clients and stuff like that so it's definitely fun and i know we're, we're talking
0: about like pretty much like a straight decade through of playing in bands like was there ever any time like where you were you had time off in between playing in bands or were you were always pretty much like like you know what i mean like playing in a band the whole time pretty much
1: always playing in bands like yeah. you know at uh, you know that whole through my 20s i was just obsessed with music so i i was like i have to be playing in a band like i just thought like that was my life goal was to play in a band and to tour and to make records you know it's funny now because like my life is so uh deviated from that from that path so it's like i i've lived two lives there's like my like i I, like i told my kid like hey you know we used to play with fallout boy and they're like no you didn't my my 10 year old's like you didn't play with fallout boy i'm like no they they, we used to we played tours with them and they're like get the hell out of here and we're like no i'm serious like they don't believe me we show them pictures of me when i was all skinny and stuff and playing she's like i can't believe this is you it's just like it's it seems like it's so like generations divided but it's it was only 20 years ago you know I mean you still not had, even
0: you still had the full sleeves back then I mean that's one thing that I remember like like from way back when is like because like 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 if you go back to like the two early 2000s like there was a lot of people with tattoos like in hardcore and punk and emo but like not a lot of people with full sleeves and like you were young and you got those like right away pretty much or whatever right like uh,
1: yeah that was that was definitely my my goal was And a lot of this, again, has to do with me growing up and being obsessed with uh, Mike Carrera and MXPX was I wanted to look like Mike Carrera. You know what I mean? And Mike Carrera wanted to look like, you know, fucking, uh, what's the guy from Social Distortion? Mike D. You know what I mean? So, like, you know, we emulate the ones we like. You know what I mean? And I wanted to be Mike Carrera. So, the second... I turned 18, you know, I was on Monroy Ave, you know, going to like the Angelina's, which was like the premier shop, you know, at the time. Now it's love, hate and all these other ones. But um, I was getting tattooed over there because I wanted to look like the cool puck rockers. <laughs> yeah.
0: And again, I guess before, like we can kind of start talking about it now. Like one, like I heard, like I told you, I heard you talking about it on a podcast before. I was, I was kind of surprised. Like is a, your first tattoo, was a sick of it all tattoo?
1: Yeah, it's uh, it's gone now, but it was here. I just, uh, yeah, I love, be some sick of it all. You know, I like Madball. I love all that shit. It's so good. <laughs>
0: yeah, I feel kind of dickish when I realized after you and I agreed to do this interview, I'm I'm doing this interview while Madball is playing in Rochester. So I... Uh, are they
1: really? I, see, I'm so yeah. out of it. I didn't even, wh-
0: yeah. Where are they playing? Uh, at the club at Water Street, actually. Oh, and, okay. Yeah, I was thinking about rescheduling, but I was like, I have so many other interviews coming up, and I'm sure you got shit going on, too. So I was like, and
1: plus... Yeah, appreciate it.
0: Yeah, it's always a dice roll with the kids, like even going to a show like I've had so many shows. And that's another thing I didn't realize, too, until I listened to a couple of interviews with you, is that you have you have three kids, too, right?
1: Yeah, three kids, uh, 10, seven and five. So super fun.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so that's my thing. That's like my kids are a little bit younger, but like my one son's getting to be that age now. He's like almost four. So it's like leaving the house, especially at this age, when they're this young at night for a show, I'm like, I feel like a dad You feel guilty.
1: Son. Yeah, you feel guilty.
0: Yeah, Crazy. so I try to get out to as many as I can, but it's you know it's tough, and I just I spread the word about them on here when I can, and you that's know how it cool. is, man. You know,
1: I mean my my main question is is like what venues are there in Rochester anymore? Is like there, there's like that Photo City Improv, right?
0: Yeah, it's just called Photo City Music Hall now, but yeah, that's oh, okay. that's one of the main ones.
1: Uh, Bug Jar still does
0: some stuff, and then I guess Water Street. I haven't been to Water Street in a long time. I I was surprised to see Madball was playing there. But I'm gonna start doing shows again. Hopefully, I've been waiting because of COVID and shit. I'm yeah, like yeah. you were saying in the beginning. I'm not. I'm not trying to get anybody sick. Like I haven't gotten it, and you know, I. I know there's a lot of different views on things, and I'm more on the uh, side of just being cautious and, you know, yeah. being safe. Fair you way. know, so but uh, you know that that's that's one issue though. So if I do shows a Bug Jar, they they currently require a vaccination. I'm not sure what the what the policy will be in a few months now that things are just kind of slowly being waived, but. I don't want to get in the middle of any like yeah you know, like yeah, wait people. it out wait, wait yeah. it
1: out a little bit longer let the dust settle and then see what yeah. happens yeah exactly that's but that's my thing is, is like you know when we were coming up you know there was like a park a, a lodge show every weekend and, and there wasn't just one there'd be like one in webster there's one in greece this day and there's yeah. one in, you know at powder mill park and it's like do they, is, does that even exist anymore like is that gone is there or is it because i'm just so removed from it there i mean is there a scene in rochester anymore
0: like for what, that for what i know for the park shows that's more of like the actual like punk or like the rock core scene you know what i mean like they had the punks picnic at genesee valley last year and there's a band called leaking head that's pretty good they're like straight up like like fast old hardcore and uh, they played like large shows and stuff like that. And they have like a DIY venue actually too. And not them, but like some of their friends. I want to say it's called Chaos Compound. It's one of those, I don't know if you've seen like on Instagram, like ask a punk, like for
1: the address yeah, like, things or whatever. Yeah, gut, gutter punk type stuff.
0: Yeah, so I haven't been there yet, but it seems like a cool place. Like wow, a band that I'm friends with, Only Shallow, they've they've played there and some other bands. I think Leaky Cat's probably played there a few times. So I've seen videos of the place and I'm sure it's probably pretty tiny, but they have like punk yeah. shows and stuff there. So yeah i
1: just i miss the days when it was just i mean literally you were in high school you were just some kid and you just went to the town and you rented out quote-unquote a lodge for a family gathering or something like that and then you'd show up hope that the the park ranger guy wouldn't come in and you just ask for donations and then you know the, the place would get packed i mean those are the best shows just sweaty and just filled and oh, it was, it was great.
0: Every time anybody talks about it, I want to bring them back and do a couple. And some people like I don't know if you remember like Pat Stefano, like he wants to book. Oh, dude, too.
1: Pat, I love Pat. He's amazing. Uh, I I know a lot of people brought him up. Definitely need to do an interview with him because yeah, Pat is integral in, into the the Rochester scene. You know what I mean? Like his photography, uh everything he does is just awesome, dude.
0: He's another one that's been on my list for a while during the um. I still have the recording too. During those like uh Daniel Prude protests, him and I went to like a lot of those. And one night I actually put my phone on record and it was on for like a half hour. And him and I were just like going back and forth. So I don't know what I haven't gone back and listened to it since make, then. Make it, You know, make it an interview. There you go. Yeah. So I'll probably like, <laughs> add this. it as like a bonus, a bonus when I actually do because I am gonna interview him eventually. Like he's another one who's been on my list since the beginning. So but you're right, he's definitely integral to, to our scene.
1: Yeah, um, I remember. I remember when he was in Philadelphia and he was going to film school there for photography. And I remember, oh, Verona staying at a, at his dorm, and and then we would play. There was a a skate park that was underneath the bridge there, and I remember playing a show with Marathon and Nakatomi Plaza, and that that was super fun. And Pat Pat took photos then, and Pat, I mean Pat is just such a just an like like Travis, amazing dude, amazing talent. And he'll give you the shirt off his back. It's like,
0: yeah. Yeah, that's I mean, that's the consistent thing about all all the, the people from the bands that we're talking about, and just all the people is your the scene that we're talking about. And and I know we're nostalgic for that era. And and there's there's some good kids in this era because I've gone to some shows now. But I mean there, there's just so many good people in that era. And you know, um, but the next band, museums, was that another band with uh, Travis too?
1: Yeah, that was I mean, for for a while my Travis is my go to singer. Like I had, I had to be in a band with Travis. I'm trying to think if Travis was the original singer. <laughs> I think he was. I think this one, he was from the get go. He was the original singer. I think Museums pretty much uh, they sleep, they dream, turned into Museums. Um, I gotta. I think the only only different player in Museums was we brought in Joey Arena. I don't know. Have you ever done an inter- Have you done an interview with Joey Arena?
0: No, but uh, him, dude. He's, him and he, him and he's Travis, yeah. Now we've been talking about Travis too. They both would be good people, you know. To be honest, I never thought about interviewing John Arena until you, you mentioned playing in bands with him tonight. And when I saw his name on the band you were with, I was like, "Yo, that that would be a really cool person to interview because it's like kind of a different scene, but still kind of the same." And and
1: yeah, you know. and that's that's kind of like you know, with me, uh, you know, I I mainly is from the pop punk scene, but. I have these little sprinkles of hardcore and metal and stuff like that. And it's the same thing with Joey, like, you know, he, he, he loves all of the hardcore bands that I like and stuff too, and all the metal bands. And he went to all those Lodge shows, you know, the, like, I think you mentioned one of the shows you, uh, you did with the glass eater. Do you remember a glass? Eater? Yeah. We were at that show. That was, that was super fun. Uh, yeah. We were at all those, shows. all the polar bear club shows were really fun too. I remember their first show was crazy. I think uh, No Trigger played that show too. Do you remember that?
0: I don't. I don't know if I was at the show, but I remember that band.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so good. Yeah.
0: Yeah, but how long? So was Museum just a continuation of They Sleep, They Dream for the most part? You're saying then, or was it a
1: little different? Yeah, it was. Um, it was. It was a totally different band in the sense that, um, we kind of went for a different, different aesthetic um whereas the other one was kind of based on the equal visions you know uh equal vision records type sound we were leaning more towards my influence i played keyboards so my influences were like the rentals and a little bit of weezer and a lot of moog you know what i mean or moog whichever way you want to pronounce it um motion city soundtrack i don't know if you're listening to them um it was kind of like that with a little bit of like uh, we were we started to really dive into like this like uh, dancey poppy stuff, and we wanted to bring some of that into. So it was it was a different. It really it was us trying to get more commercial, and kind of be able to be accessible to everyone because we were seeing like these bands, kind of like really moving up the ranks fast, and we were getting a little bit older. And we're like, hey, you know what can we do that's going to be real relevant? Kind of not a cash grab, but something that um the labels are looking for. You know. So that's kind of what we did. And we did a lot of touring with them, too. I think we did a Canada tour with them. Uh, Pretty much the same thing, all East Coast stuff. I ended up leaving, and then they ended up getting a a different bass player, and they got a different drummer at one point. And then Devin, who later became the drummer of Such Gold. I don't know if you remember Devin. Yeah. Uh, Yep. And then... Yeah. Oh. Then we we and then after Travis Travis left because he didn't want to tour at all. He basically was like, "Listen, I'm going to college." I mean, like he's Travis for all these years, has been not going to college, but like studying stuff online and all this other stuff. So he wanted to focus on his studies more. So we ended up getting uh, Zach Finan Feen- from Renoff. I don't know if you remember him. He and he came in and filled uh, Travis's shoes, and he did a great job. I mean, it was hard because. You know everybody kind of you're used to travis's iconic voice and cadences when he's saying and zach had to come in and replicate that zach doesn't sing like that so i give him props because he he definitely stepped up to the plate when it was a hard plate to step up to um but yeah um zach came in and uh we recorded a few more things um i did like a movie life cover um compilation which was really cool because i love the movie life it's one of my favorite bands And then uh, I ended up leaving the band. I think it was just another one of those. I just wanted to do my own thing for a little bit, but it wasn't too long because after that I joined Young Bloods with Joey Arena kind of was doing that too.
0: Yeah. And then you had two other bands mentioned that I, 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 obviously the Connecticut band, I wouldn't have heard of. And then another, I've got some local band I never heard of blueprint to a fire and, and shut up and deal too.
1: Yeah. So shut up and deal was from Connecticut. And that, that was, um, there was a point where you could go to absolutepunk.net, and you can go on to the uh, band members wanted. And I found, I, again, I was kind of fed up with like, just trying to stay in roster bands. You know what I mean? And I was like, I'm a professional musician. I need to, you know, take this seriously. So I went on there and I found the bands that I liked and I kind of messaged each one of them. And um, that was one of them. And they had done the warp tour the year before the entire warp tour. And they're like, Hey, we're going to do the warp tour again. I was like, shit, okay, and uh, I drove out there, did an audition, they liked it, and then I think for the next six months, like once or twice a month, I would drive out to Connecticut and practice, because they were basically just getting ready to do the next Warp Tour, Um, and then, you know, uh, we practiced for six months, and then we made our way out to California to go to the Warp Tour, (laughs) and then uh, I wasn't really in that band too long, because I ended up, uh leaving them um and i ended up being the base tech for ice nine kills for the rest of the the warp tour. So I went to go on the warp tour with them and then I kind of just was like, I'm not really digging the scene. It's hard because when you meet these you don't you don't know these people, you know what I mean? So when you meet them and they kind of don't really mesh with you the way you thought that they were and I was like, you know, I have you know I love all those guys now, but I was just like I'm kind of over this and I'm already on the warp tour. So I ended up just hopping in the van with the guys in Ice Nine Kills. And I just finished out the rest of the warp Tour with them, and I was their bass tech basically. So that, was that that was fun.
0: Was that awkward at all with the other band for the rest of the tour, though, or you just kind no? Of like they it? didn't give a
1: fuck. They, they they didn't they didn't give a fuck. They yeah. they literally we got in a huge argument uh, right before because uh, we were doing we were doing select dates up into the warp Tour to get to California, and they were really I think my biggest complaint with them is so they they were very much a cookie cutter pop punk band. You know we all had click tracks in our ears and played to a metrodome and they and i was very much like you know like raised in like basement shows at lodges and you know playing on the floor and i you know i would get yelled at because you know when i'm playing my bass on the floor to the crowd i would you know fall backwards and let the crowd catch you or you know i would do like you know what i call hardcore moves you know and they're like you can't do that. that that's that's not blah 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 i'm like who cares man it's fucking rock like just just fucking do it and they we just never saw eye to eye and i played like five or six shows with them and then um, right before warp tour started like we were literally in the parking lot and they're just like hey man it's not working out and i'm like so what are you saying and they're like well you can either fly home right now or if you know anybody on the tour and i'm like well let me call up my boys so i just called up my ice nine guys and they helped me out so <laughs> yeah yeah like like I told you before the
0: interview I never realized those guys were from around here until I worked with one of the guys from nightmares so he kind of mentioned that they you know Who's Dave? Hair. Uh no Dave does my hair sometimes though which obviously I haven't, oh, really? I haven't seen him in a long time but um <laughs> no Michael Michael uh, Bracci, uh him and I were working at Macy's for a while and neither one of us uh work there anymore so <laughs> But uh, yeah, so I guess the last one you were referencing there, like like you were saying about getting uh, Joey on here sometime, was Youngbloods. Uh, how long did you do that one for?
1: That was another one. It was like two years. Yeah, and that that one we we were touring all over. Um, yeah. I think uh, same thing. We made it all the way over to Detroit and all the way down to Florida. We really never broke that Mississippi line. You know what I mean? Um, and that one. I was asked to leave and I love, I, I talked to Joey like once a week. Um, I was asked to leave because I had a kid and my focus wasn't on the band and they knew it, you know what I mean? So they were just like, hey, like we all sat down. And they were just like, hey man, like, uh, you know, we know you love the band and we lo- you love everything we're doing, but we we can tell that your focus isn't on the band right now. I'm like, you're right. It's, I, I have a kid and I have to focus on that. And so we left on good terms. So I, I, I went out of there. And then from that point, I was just like, I'm done with bands. Like I'm I'm going to tattoo full time now and stay home and raise the kids and stuff like that. So, and it, it kind of like the last few years before that, it kind of had been getting that way where I was like, I'm probably going to settle down and have a kid and do the old, the old man shit where I don't, I don't want to tour and stuff like that. Cause it, it you know, touring is a young man's game. And I think at this point I was like 29, 30, you know what I mean? So I was like, eh, if it was gonna happen, it was gonna, it was gonna happen, but it hadn't happened yet.
0: <laughs> yeah, have you ever like gotten the itch now that you kind of like know a few more people from like being on TV and like have like a following on Instagram to like do another band and see if you could like like get anything going? I guess you know, or is it oh, kinda... I do, I uh,
1: I talk to people all the time. I I I would love to do another band. Um, if I just I have this thing that I don't. I mean, I just don't have time. That's the hard part. If I could have more time there's so many things that I would do and, and being a, doing a band would be another one. You know what I mean? Cause I, I love it. It's just, so, it's so much fun and the exercise you get from it, you know, especially being in a hardcore band or a pop punk band, or you just the energy of just running and giving you the adrenaline. It's good. It's fucking good for you. You know? So, um, yeah, I, I would, I would do it in a heartbeat if I had the time. I just don't have it.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, that's what we're going to get into. Obviously. Um, now, if I, if I remember correctly, and this is just going off the top of my head, weren't you tattooing like like downtown Rochester at some point, like like on East Ave?
1: Yeah, I was um at the bar district there, and I was it was Doc Yeager's tattoo company. Yeah, and Doc Doc was one of the first. He's the oldest living tattooer in in Rochester um, currently. So like, I think I want to say like he predates like Jet and all all those guys um, by like. 30 years like he's been tattooing since wow. the late 60s 70s yeah so it was really cool to work with him i worked i worked in every fucking shop in rochester though i worked in um what, what shops i'm trying to think uh white tiger it was in greece and in webster i worked at iron quill i worked in artisan i worked in do, 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 do. i feel like the, i feel like there's others too but <laughs> there's just a bunch so
0: so I guess like, how, how'd you end up in, in, in Cortland? You were already there, like before you started doing like the show and stuff. Right. And you were in the shop that you're in now or like the show the yeah. turning into what you're doing now, I guess.
1: Yeah. So it was um, at a certain point, I guess it's the same with music. Um, I realized that if I wanted my career to progress, I had to get out of Rochester. And uh, not to say I don't love Rochester. I fucking love Rochester. Um, but I had to get out of it because uh, if I wanted to be, I was always, especially with tattooing, it was like if you want to be the best, you got to get in the room with the people that are way better than you. So at a certain point um, I made friends with a guy named Dave Cruzman, who's uh, an old G um, California tattooer. He was living down. I met him in Chicago tattoo convention in 08. And he was living in uh, Athens, Georgia or Atlanta, Georgia. One of the, one of the two. And uh, I was going down and seeing him a couple times a year just like getting tattooed with him, but watching him tattoo. And then at a certain point, he's like, hey, I'm going to open up a tattoo shop um, in a mall in Pennsylvania. Or no, the first one was in Baltimore. So he's going to open a shop up in Baltimore, and he wanted me to come work for him. So then we moved down to Baltimore. I was down there for a little bit. And then he was opening up a second mall shop in Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania. So then we moved to Wilkes-Barre, um, and uh, I tattooed there for a good, I, it's it's almost the same as the ta- as the tattooing years uh, reflected the same as the band years. So like, I'd be two years at a shop, and then I either get bored or just you know I just want to change it up. So then I'd move to another shop, or I I I call it upgrading, you know, just going to the the next better better one. So uh, it was two years at Wokesbear, and then a real famous tattooer named Josh Payne. Um, who later became the ink master. Like he won, um, the season after mine for ink master. He asked me, he, I was getting tattooed by him and he asked me to come work at a shop. So I was like, shit. Okay. Yeah. I'll come. Uh, so I, that's why I moved to Cortland and then I've been in Cortland ever since then. Um, I, I don't own the shop now. I, I owned the shop before, but, uh, right before I, you know, took a hiatus on tattooing. I kind of sold the shop off to one of my friends that, um, he owns a shop down in North Carolina called the vault and it's a video game themed shop. And, uh, he is kind of taking the reins, but the cool thing is is like, I could it literally is like right down the hall from where I am right now. And I can literally walk down there and tattoo anytime I want. and the, you know, he, he kind of, he, he's appreciative that I kind of, um, you know, turn key, gave the key, he opened it up, had the people in there and he just lets me tattoo whenever I want. So it's pretty cool.
0: And I imagine by looking around, I mean, you have like a ton of collectibles and shit. Like, was it a pain in the ass to like move around all those times?
1: uh, So I think the majority of like when I had my, like, like right now I'm just surrounded by all my collectibles. Like that had been acquired within the like the last five years. And that's while I was here in Portland. So, luckily, I didn't have to move it from state to state because that would have sucked.
0: <laughs> yeah. So, then then I guess we're kind of getting into the Ink Master then. Like, how, like, I, that's, that's that, like, when I found that all out, like, I didn't realize you'd been on it because I don't really watch a lot of like TV and shit. No, that's right? all right. <laughs> so, but like, Anthony Re- Antonucci told me about it and I was like, what the fuck? Like, just like completely floored by the whole thing. Like, was that like something you had kind of like hoped to do before type thing? Or did it all just kind of like fall in your lap? Or like, how did that all kind of like, like yeah down,
1: you know so i'm like a reality tv whore i love like reality tv like i grew up with road rules and, and uh um what's the real world and stuff like that so like anytime a reality tv show came out i was watching it and i and i i'm not gonna lie i was the guy that was watching miami inc and all, all those other shows and uh I, my season was season nine but they had been talking to me like via emails and phone calls for three seasons before that so they are kind of like courting you for a few seasons um and then they like they they, there was a couple seasons before that they're like hey you're gonna be you're gonna be on the season and then something happens and you're not um I think that they have like a category for everybody that's on every contestant that's on the show is like oh here's your cliche angry black guy here's your white nerdy fat guy with no hair you know what I mean so like clearly at the other seasons they had that guy and I was the backup. So like if somebody canceled last minute, then they would be like, Hey Tom, come in. Cause that's the thing What I learned with the reality TV and just TV in general is like, they, they go like that and you come running. Cause like it's, it's all spur of the moment. Everything's on the fly and and you get paid dick <laughs> unless you're the host.
0: <laughs> how long, like and how long was the whole process? Like, so, so like, would you, were you, cause it looked like you were in like New York or whatever for that or?
1: They say New York City, but you're actually in Trenton, New Jersey. Okay. So, <laughs> um, but it was uh, I was on for ten episodes on that season, and that was two and a half months. Oh damn! So yeah, were you just going back I, I, from,
0: from Cortland the whole time, or were you staying there? No,
1: no, they 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 lock you in a prison basically. They lock you. They have this entire building. It's their production building. So the first floor is like their offices, and you go up this little staircase, and that's like the main uh floor where they have like the studio where you tattoo in. they have the judges the judges booth thing um they have all you know the production stuff that you actually see on the show and then the third floor um is like the the quarters where you live and stuff like that or they also like if you if you do watch the show there's a lot of times they're all sitting on a couch and they're talking and arguing that couch is in there too so it's pretty it's pretty crazy because when you look up there's no ceiling it's just lights everywhere um and they lock the windows there's no windows um like the uh, the windows are blacked out they're locked you there's no cell phones they take away your cell phones there's no clocks there's no tv um the you're whole not allowed to the whole time so like they tattooing is the easy part the hard part is is like dealing with people that you are you're living with so they the producer of this show used to be the producer of Jerry Springer so if that tells you anything they know how to get people pissed off so yeah wait, so wait. you just imagine for th- almost 3 months no no tv no clocks no nothing the
0: whole time like it's not it's
1: like, it sounds like jail like it's not it's not even they like give, an hour no it's like 100% it's 100% jail and they give you in the morning you can go in a room with a guy standing there and you're allowed to go on face face you know, FaceTime with your wife and see and talk to your kids for 1 hour a day
0: that's crazy yeah.
1: my wife what? was not happy
0: Wow. But I'm guessing like the after effect, like you had to have gained like a pretty big oh, yeah. and tons of like business from that.
1: Oh, I mean, I looked at it. I knew from the get go I wasn't going to win. I was like, I have a very specific style. The judges don't like that style. They really like traditional. And uh, I just knew that every episode I was on was a, a, like a million dollar promotion. You know what I mean? Because they said that it was like eight to ten million viewers watch every episode. So I was like, shit that's eight to ten million people that get to see my face you know and and my season was the only season that you were allowed to bring your tattoo shop and have your logo on there so my the shop that i was representing was classic trilogy tattoos which was my my actual shop that was up in syracuse so i get to have a free advertisement for my shop every week so that was
0: really cool and and did you notice like more like did you start tattooing like like more well-known or like bigger name people like after all that or like do people come in from like out of town to like get tattoos and stuff? Oh yeah.
1: Or? I mean, um, I definitely noticed there was more of an influx of uh, um, you know, I get I suddenly got people that were coming from Sweden, you know, I had a guy come from Australia, um, you know, people from all over the world that just wanted to get tattooed. Um, it was it's a blessing and a curse because you're gonna get a lot of people that say, Hey, do whatever you want. I just want a Tom Bowman tattoo. Um, and then you get some people that go, I love what you do. Can I get this little tiny tattoo like this that I just want a guy from Ink Master to do it? And you're like, all right, I'll charge you 500 bucks, but okay. <laughs> and like, when did like the interest, well, I guess
0: we could have talked about that with the upbringing too, but like the Comic-Con and like all the crazy shit you're doing with shoes now, like
1: when did all that, like when did you start getting interested in doing all that? So during the whole process, well, first of all I've been going to Comic-Con since I was a kid. Um, so that that's always been there. And then while I've been tattooing, I also worked for a company called ink fusion empire and they are a company run by Mark Draven. And we would go, he basically is, um, he's basically brokered by these comic cons to bring in tattoo artists and set up an area, almost like a little mini tattoo convention in the actual comic con. And we would tattoo like all nerdy stuff that would be, you know, um, that would happen um, during that weekend, and we, it would all be themed to the Comic-Con, and um, it, it, that was pretty fun, so I was doing that the whole time while I was tattooing, too, so I, I would probably do a couple Comic-Con tattoo shows a year. I was doing Star Wars Celebration tattoo conventions um, every couple of years. They had those, which was fun, and then, yeah, like I said, um, with COVID, I wanted to pivot the business and go from doing tattoos to doing something that doesn't really involve me touching anybody that, you know, if I could, like right now I'm in my studio, and I can make shoes if I want and I don't have to worry about touching anybody and possibly getting COVID. So when I decided to make that pivot, I said, well, what is something that I I really like and something that I see that there's a void in the market because there's no point of doing the same Nikes that everybody else is doing because they can get it from anybody else. So one, I said, I love shoes. I've, I've painted shoes throughout the years, but I never really made it a thing. But I was like, shit, I think I, I think I could do this pretty well. And then on top of that, I said, there's no nerdy shoes whatsoever. Like there is like there's a lot of people that, you know, a lot of brands that say, oh, this is the Star Wars shoe or whatever. And it's it just falls flat to me. So I was like, shit, I think I could do this and I think I could I can kind of hit that niche market maybe people will like it and so far it's been overwhelming but it's everybody's been really receptive and it's crazy how how many orders and stuff I have now so I'm totally blessed because it was scary for for, right when I kind of made the like I just stopped tattooing cold turkey I was like I'm done with it like because when I'm when I'm like over something too I'm over something so I don't want to tattoo you and like do a shitty job not that I would but I don't want to I want to be into the tattoo 100 percent when I'm tattooing you and if I'm not into it then I just wouldn't do it because like even at the tail end when I was tattooing if I got up and I was having a bad day and my mind wasn't in I would call a client and be like hey man I'm just not into tattooing you today and like I just want you to know that and they'd be like hey that's cool I appreciate your candor and your honesty Um, I want you to be 100% yourself and you're ready to do it I'm like cool so that's kind of where I am with tattooing now like I'm finishing up a few loose appointments that kind of already been in the books but I'm not taking on any more new new clients. I'm just focusing on shoes and stuff right now. I mean, I have a bunch of questions for the shoes, obviously. Like,
0: did did you have to, like, take, like, go to, like, a school or something to learn how to do all this? Or did you just kind of, like, learn as you go or, or both?
1: Yeah. So there's a guy named the sneaker surgeon. And his name's Dom. And uh, I talked to him th- uh, periodically throughout the years. And because uh, he's always talking about tattoos and he wants to get tattooed and things like that, and I told him that I was thinking about taking his course, and he said, "He goes, man, you should. I think you'll do really well because you're an artist." Um, so I did. I took. Uh, I just uh, last April, I took the whole month and I did the online course. It was freaking eye opening. It 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 really wasn't as hard as I thought it was going to be. I also have I have a history of knowing how to sew too, so that helps. Um, because apparently a lot of people can't sew very well, even with a machine. So that kind of like makes them like they do the one shoe and then they're like, I'm done. I can't do it anymore. This is too hard. You know what I mean? So, which is fine by me. Cause it just means that, you know, cause he, he offers these courses and people can come and they can learn how to make shoes. But I, I even asked him like, how many people actually take this knowledge that you're giving them and, and actually start a career out of it. He's like probably 1%. He's like, you're that one percent right now. He's like, you're the only one that's taken it and kind of done something with it. Everybody else, they just make the they make the shoes that they couldn't get when they dropped, and then and then they just they you know they're like, cool, this is a, this is a fun hobby and I'm done with it. You know. I mean, there's a ton of questions with
0: like the shoes that you're making. Like, how do you how do you decide which what what you want to make next? Like, how do you decide how many you're going to make? Is that like a pre order type thing or?
1: Yeah, that's um. So I got like a couple. I have my commissions and that I just it, it, you go through the website. Um, this year it was on January 1st and everybody, you know, you fill out the form, you tell me what you want. And a lot of them, my only stipulation was that it needed to be nerdy, You know, if you were coming at me and said, I want, you know, fucking, I, I don't know, Statue of Liberty. I don't know, but it, I mean, i I'd probably do the Statue of Liberty, I, honestly, but it needed to have something that would, would kind of re- relevant to pop culture or movies or comics or something like that. And, uh, from, from that, I just picked the ones that I kind of, cherry picked the ones that I liked. And then, um, and then i email them back and then they yeah i basically give them a time frame this is going to be how long it takes to make your shoes um with covid there's a lot of delays on getting my shipping like i i order exotic leathers from like italy and some other stuff like that and that shit takes forever because covid delays you know all the backup uh ports you know the docks and stuff like that just it's it's a nightmare so i basically overestimate how long it's going to take and then I tell them it might be sooner if, if the product comes in faster, you know. Um, and then I also have a thing called Pop Drops where they're pop culture themed and I only do 20 of them and that's it. So like I did like an 8-bit Jason where I did 20 of those and then they're, they're never made again. I did a Jack Burton from Big Trouble in Little China, made 20 of those and they're never, never done again. So I do a lot of little drops like that. Um, I just did a, I don't know, are you familiar with anime at all? I did a Demon Slayer shoe. Um, I collabed with a, uh, another tattoo artist, um, Nuke milk, his real name's Christian. And, uh, we, uh, we, oh shit, we finished. I went to the anime Ink convention last October. And the second we were done with that convention, I was making, sh- making, uh, 50 shoes for to sell on February 1st. <laughs> so that was a lot of work.
0: Have you gone to like any conventions since like things have kind of like reopened with COVID or like, have they had any in the last like year or so, or?
1: I went to the Philly convention and that that was definitely a lot less people than there normally is because usually in Philly it's packed like shoulder to shoulder so it was very weird that you could actually walk through there and not hit somebody um but I've gone to like I've been at four um, shoe conventions since then and that was super fun and a really receptive like everybody was like wow I can't believe you're making something like this because a, a lot of people they just either... In the sneaker community, you're just a, either a reseller or usually you're just somebody that takes an existing shoe and you just paint it, you know, in no disrespect to those people because they do a great job. But like, you know, I, I do recons. So like mine is reconstruction. So I build it from the from the sole all the way up. So it's like 100 percent made from scratch. Yeah,
0: like I said, the whole thing is just like mind-blowing to me to see you do all this shit. You know what I mean? So um, and then I guess like how busy does this kind of stuff keep you like i think about that too like with having kids and stuff and i don't know how i'd even be able to to do all this you know
1: yeah so i, I have i don't know if you have you ever heard of that app that's on your phone called basecamp I think so yeah yeah it's like this like to do list type thing and it gives you like you can basically like plan it's almost like a calendar but it's more detailed so i basically um do my to do list like weeks ahead of time and i say like okay like tomorrow I'm, I'm finishing up. Um, like I have, I have these, these shoes I'm doing for a customer there. It's like a weed based, uh, it's a weed based, uh, head shop, but there it's kind of cool, but I have, um, I have to finish like painting up the swoosh and doing a few little things. So I'll do like tomorrow. My to-do list is finish the swoosh. Um, and then probably do product photography. And then once that's done, then my next to do list on that is probably, I'll probably do one mock up for another upcoming shoe. And then I probably have another another thing on that list. And then I go, I try to be home by five, five o'clock every night to see the kids and stuff like that. So, so are you? Um,
0: my, I, is it just a one man operation right now, too? It's like you're doing all the stuff yourself.
1: It is me making them. I have an assistant that he mails out everything and answers emails. And his, his name is Alejandro. That dude's awesome. Yeah. He's really good. Like he, I hate going to the post office and dealing with all that stuff and he does a great job, but yeah, everything else is just me. So I pretty much have to really delegate and like divide my time. And I, and I've learned, I've quickly learned, you know, don't try to blow your wad and get all of the shoe done at once. Like I'll do like just the heel on this one, these one pair. And then I'll be done for the day and I'll work on something else. And then the next day you work on the next part of the shoe. Cause I, I definitely, there's a couple of shoes where I did like all 10 pairs at once. I got it burnt out real fast. So just doing a little by little, it helps.
0: <laughs> I guess to peel back the curtain, I've had a few times on this podcast where I might have forgotten, forgotten to hit record and we had to go back and redo some stuff. Like, have you ever had any instances since you've been making shoes where you had to like redo <coughs> or, re, or re, remake a pair completely? Like any Oh yeah. The fuck ups for lack of a better word, you
1: know. Yeah, I had uh a couple of weeks ago I had a, a Jack Burton shoe for some reason I have a grind wheel that's like attached to the side of my my table and um that's for grinding down the acrylics that I put on and for some reason I had left it on and I don't know why but I was standing next to it and I was um trying to pop this acrylic on and the damn shoe slipped out of my hand and l- the back of the heel just hit the grind wheel and it got stuck. So the whole back of the heel was just completely chewed up and gone. And I was like, fuck. So then I am, there's no way to fix that. So I just scrap it and start, start from scratch. That sucked. But I I will say that the good thing about being a tattoo artist was, you know, you're used to working with stuff that's permanent. So you're you're used to working on the fly. So there's been a lot of times that I I do mess up stuff and I'm like, and I kind of try to problem solve it, MacGyver it a little bit. And I'm able to kind of do little like Bob Ross happy accidents. And sometimes they 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 look even better than what I thought they were gonna look like because of that accident that happened. So I'm pretty good at that too.
0: And is this something where you'll do like, I don't know, or if you have like 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 boutique, like pop pop up shops or whatever they're called, like that kind of stuff, or
1: yeah, I got um there's a guy in Ohio that's gonna be doing a pop-up shop. Um, we're gonna have a bunch of other shoes there and we're probably gonna do a drop. Uh, my goal, uh, do, you, do you know uh, Pop Rocks in, in Rochester? We're going to be doing um, some type of pop up shop um, over there that's probably going to be like Pokemon themed sometime later this year. So that's going to be really fun. Yeah, I like I, I want to try to do more like pop up like shops like around the country would be really fun too.
0: I, I don't have a ton of topics left, but I feel like, is is there other things that we didn't touch on with like your time in the Rochester scene or are there things, uh, other things coming up that, that I missed out on on the outline for like projects that you're working on?
1: No, I mean, we, we dived in pretty deep with the Rochester stuff. I mean, I just, like I said, I, I, re, I just remember like having a real good fondness for all those Webster shows and steel bees to call. I like, I like going, I know, uh, I don't think you went to a lot of those. Right with randy yeah. and stuff like that
0: i booked more at the penny arcade but i went to a couple yeah. n- one name we haven't talked about a lot but like jeremy burke i'm sure you're friends with him and familiar with him. Boner, yeah boner exactly he booked a lot of shows there so i i would i would uh, have interactions there occasionally with him because i was partying with him a lot but
1: yeah that um, was uh, and like uh, like you guys had mentioned in a past episode like that was a crazy time where it seemed like Everybody in Henrietta in Greece came out to that place every Friday or Saturday night. I mean those those places were packed. it was it was crazy. I just I didn't like the venue though. It was just super like very metallic inside with all this like fake new metal like metal new metal yeah. metal around and then that creepy ass dance floor on the other side. It was just yeah. super weird. but like everybody everybody played there. so it, that part was really fun. And then I remember one time we were shooting fireworks, fireworks off illegally in the parking lot. And I got a Roman candle blown in my face. So that was pretty fun.
0: And <laughs> <laughs> uh, no scars or
1: anything? Uh, I mean, I got plenty of scars. It not from that one, though. <laughs> oh, you know, that's
0: that's something I meant to ask you throughout the interview. You you have a lot of tattoos. Any will you think you'll ever get any face tattoos or No. No, no.
1: If if anything, it's not that I, so like I got my whole arm blacked out now. Yeah. So these, I've had these sleeves since 1999, you know, slash 2000. And they were, like I said, they were done at the premier shops in Rochester at the time, but like, I just, I've gotten bored with them. So that's kind of why I'm blacking them out. Uh, I don't regret having tattoos, but if I didn't have tattoos, that'd be great too. I'm definitely not doing face tattoos. I, I, they just look I've always said that the face tattoos to me, like they scream like, Hey, look at me. I have a face tattoo. I'm yeah. edgy. I mean, it just, and you know, 15 years ago, they were really like, you know, they were edgy, but now it's like, everybody has a face tattoo. So it kind of lost its edge. So it's just like, whatever. Yeah. You know? yeah,
0: it's a little weird to me, the whole thing, but I get it with the culture and stuff, but I was just curious because you were pretty much covered with tattoos at this point, but no, nothing on your face. So.
1: You know. And I know uh, in the past too, you brought up Dan danger. That dude has gotten huge, man. Yeah, like his uh tiny media empire or whatever it was called. I uh I forgot about him, and I was watching a documentary a few years ago that's about poster art, and then all of a sudden he pops up. I'm like, oh my god, it's Dan from Hue of Two. Yeah. So that was that was crazy to see him because he's, I mean, I, like he's huge in the art world, like yeah. huge. So yeah, it's 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 crazy to see like these. You know, people coming from our scene and getting really well known and famous and stuff like that. You know.
0: No, I was going to say, have you ever bumped into any any random people from like the scene when you're at any of these conventions or like like throughout all your travels and stuff with this?
1: Uh, when I come when I come home to visit um, family in Rochester, I definitely I will bump into somebody at least once when I go out to Wegmans or Target or any of these other places like on East Ave I definitely run into people and they're like oh my god what's up my wife always jokes just whenever especially back when we lived in Rochester if we went to Eastview Mall or any of those places like that she'd I'd always run into somebody and she's like you know everybody I'm like I'm in I'm in the scene everybody knows me (laughs) you know not so much i mean i i definitely run into a lot of local like uh roster tattooers at conventions and stuff like that you know uh jet jet and everybody love hate is amazing uh and ben white uh everybody's super freaking cool uh, the roster tattoo scene's great too you know um very similar aesthetics to the hardcore punk scene and stuff like that too so it's cool it's a cool scene
0: he doesn't live here anymore but I had uh Aiden on here a while back too Aiden, Aiden's fucking time.
1: amazing yeah. borrowed time
0: yeah
1: so yeah. good and yeah. dude you know what's funny he tattooed me back at the Angelina days in the back of my neck and like uh what was it at the Rochester convention of Rock City conventions a few years ago I I, I like I am I'm am 100% like I love all trans people gay people I love everybody and uh I had no clue that he was gay, no clue what all these years. And he, I was talking to him, and I, and then somebody came over and, like, I don't know if it was his boyfriend or something like that, and gave him a hug and a kiss. And I'm like, and he, He's like, Oh, you didn't know I'm gay? And I'm like, I do now. <laughs> he's like, Yeah, he's like, I live in, and at that time, he was living in San Francisco. And I'm like, It makes so much sense now. <laughs> and like, he's just like a big, tut, cuddly teddy bear, so yeah. like, it's he's the nicest fucking dude. I, and I, I always. I always said I loved his accent. I wish I had this Irish accent, you know?
0: Yeah, I love that accent too. I saw a really funny meme that somebody posted today saying that uh do British people still do the accent when they're by themselves? <laughs> you know. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> yeah. So um, yeah, I guess that's pretty much all I got. You got anything else you want to plug or any other shout-outs or anything? Or
1: yeah, I just want to say I love everybody back in Rochester, miss the old days, miss those scenes, the sense, the Sensters just want to say thank you to you. Thank you to uh, you know anybody that else is listening that, you know, happen to have been sort of a fan of any of my bands over the years. Thank you very much. I'm not tattooing right now, but I am making shoes. So if you're in- interested in cool, nerdy themed shoes, if somebody wants a flower city, t- you know, flower city themed shoe, hit me up, uh, Bolairs underscore, no wait, Bull underscore Airs is on Instagram. And then bolairs.com is my website feel free to hit me up. Let's do something fun. And uh, I had a blast.
0: That's great. Uh, I guess it's gonna wrap up Episode 60. Uh, I want to thank Tom for taking the time to do the interview. Um, As always, thanks to Rob Antonucci, Greg Benoit and Jim Byrne for helping with the podcast. Uh, I got a bunch of episodes coming up. Just keep your eyes on the website and the uh, social medias. And uh,
1: thanks everybody. Uh, See everybody real soon and stay safe.